welcome to Always and Forever, a spoiler-free One Tree Hill podcast where we analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing I Love You But I've Chosen Darkness, the fifth episode of season four, which was written by the creator and showrunner of the show. Lots unpack there. Directed by Stuart Gillard, and originally aired on The CW on October 25th, 2006. Perfect time for Halloween. Am I right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to our episode description and our OTH DVD box sets, this is the one with Brotherly Love. Peyton's relationship with her half-brother takes a dark and terrifying turn. Nathan receives two major pieces of news, one fantastic and one, well, he isn't sure what to think. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Sort of, kind of. You can email me. I'm Caitlin Elinich. Well, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and a little lie about my age, some great sex, a solemn limo, a bridge, and a brief hospital stay later, and here we are, discussing this episode, which is titled after, not the song, but the band. <laughs> I love you, but I've chosen darkness. <laughs> this is a first for the series. I don't know if it's the last or what, but... I know. Like, what the heck? A band? What are we supposed to talk about, Jeremy? <laughs> I mean, I, I read a little bit about the band's bio. One of the things I found very interesting is that, like, when did they release their first album? Yeah, they released their first album in 2006, the same year this episode aired, and then they, they didn't release their second album until 2014. So I thought there would be, like, a really in-depth story to talk about with, like, oh, maybe there's an in-depth history about the bands, and there, there really isn't. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so the way I interpreted this is like I feel like this is like the show's way of sending a message like hey we love you the fans but for this one we're doing something a little bit different a little bit experimental we're choosing darkness I mean it definitely suits the episode for sure with everything going on with Derek um, and I don't know I kind of see the title like I love you, but I've chosen to do this thing that I shouldn't do necessarily. <laughs> Ooh. Which kind of relates to the Haley and Nathan situation because it's like Nathan loves Haley, but he kind of in that moment initially before the whole press conference, he like chose to just like go make his decision and do what he wants to do. So in a way you could kind of consider that darkness. I was thinking of that situation, but obviously the Derek stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you can also make the argument, too, that Derek loves Peyton. Yeah. In his own little warped way. Ugh. I know. I don't know, but I'm willing to talk more about uh, Haley and her little confession to Nathan now. Do you want to just roll right into that? Yeah, that's, like, one of the more interesting things in this whole episode, I would say. Like, it starts off with Nathan finding out that he got a scholarship to Duke. And Haley, in that same moment, chooses to tell him that she's pregnant. Yeah, he says, like, he says, I got into Duke. And she's like, I'm pregnant. 
Which, I mean, I'm glad they didn't, like, draw this out too much, but I still think, like, as we said in the last episode, like, wouldn't have been so much more interesting if, like, we knew that Haley was pregnant, and then Nathan, like, didn't know at the same time. So, I know. I, I'm a little bit disappointed that, like, we didn't get more of, like, this, uh, this story where, like, Haley is just conflicted about telling him or whatnot. Instead, they, like, really relied on the twist of the last episode. So, I feel two ways about it. You know, she's held this secret in for a while now. And personally, like, this is the worst moment to tell him that. <laughs> and I think actually, and this might be controversial to people, I don't know. I think it's a little unfair <laughs> to tell him in that moment without even reacting to this news that he's been waiting for. Uh- I mean, she shouldn't at the same time keep this from him, but, like, you're really going to choose that moment? I feel like she was maybe coming from the place. Like, I, I do understand I do understand what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with that take. However, I will say I think Nathan deserves a little bit more of a defense in this episode than I feel like the story gives him credit for. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But I feel like uh, Haley decided to tell him right then and there because she didn't want it to seem like she was holding him back. Like, if she told him, like, a week later, like, let him celebrate, like, you know, getting into the Duke and everything, and then she decides to tell him to, like, you know, try to, like, hold him back or something. I I think she just didn't want to be interpreted in that way. Maybe. Does that make sense? It doesn't seem like she was planning to tell him though because she's like coming from the bathroom in that scene you know like Nathan, you see nathan in the kitchen he gets the phone call and then he's calling out to Haley, and she's coming from the bathroom or what room that is i guess it is the bathroom so it wasn't like we got to see Haley beforehand like thinking about like like prepping herself to tell him it's it's almost like in that moment she just made the decision to tell him because it's like, how could Nathan decide to go to Duke without knowing this information, I guess? Yeah, th- that's how I interpreted it, too, because because I feel like if uh, if Nathan just accepted the offer to go to Duke right then and there, I feel like Haley needed to tell him and say, um, I'm pregnant, actually, so you, we need to take that into consideration now before you accept any offers. And of course, by the end of the episode, he doesn't officially accept the offer to go to Duke. So I feel like... His uh, her pregnancy is playing into that. I, ugh, it's just yeah. I guess I can feel kind of two things at once, but not congratulating him <laughs> and just saying like just dumping that on him to me doesn't seem fair. I do. F- I feel that way too, actually. And you know when and like when asked how he felt about her pregnancy, like Nathan just says like, "I wish you would have told me sooner." That's honestly how I feel, and I'm like. Yo, know, I, I got it. I understand that. And if you think a teenager is going to be able to react, like, I mean, they're both teenagers, so it's just like, I, <laughs> how are you really going to react to that situation? That is terrifying news, Ex- so. Exactly. And then later on in the episode, like, uh, when he's getting ready to go to the press conference, um, Haley says, you know what, Nathan? It is really not about what schools we go to or what dreams we have, because- Whatever you want, I want it for you. I just really thought that the news of your child would affect you more than the news of a scholarship. And I'm like, I think this is affecting him, Haley. <laughs> I think this is affecting him more than the news of a scholarship. Just not in the way that you 
necessarily want it to. And think about it, Haley. Like, when you found out, you didn't tell anyone except Brooke. So you were terrified to tell Nathan and you were terrified about the situation. So, like, give Nathan a moment to feel upset. I think he has to feel upset first before he's going to, as an 18-year-old, think about raising a child. It's... Yeah. <laughs> I have no words, Jeremy. I just, I don't even know how to put them into words. It's wild. <laughs> they are teenagers, and I feel like, I feel like at this point forward, this is like when they really, like, accelerated the characters on One Tree Hill to be, like, mini-adults. Because that's what they are right now. We're really expecting, like, a teenager to react reasonably to his wife. <laughs> if teenagers have wives, to be pregnant, you know? I know, like, how are we expecting a teenager in any circumstance to be happy about that? I, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, like, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but, like, you know, Nathan does come around, and it is, like, it's really great. It's a really great moment. I love this for Nathan and Haley. Same. I feel like this really sets them up as, like, a really stable couple, but... I, I feel like the episode really tries to position Nathan as a villain here. Like a villain who ends up coming around and learns from his mistakes. But I, I from the get-go, I really don't think he's the villain. I feel like it's like, you know what? Like, you're valid in what you're feeling. I understand that. Maybe he shouldn't have walked out on Haley. Like, you know, maybe there's like, you know, better ways he could have processed it. But like, at the end of the day, he's processing it in real time. And you know what? It's totally okay. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Can you imagine getting, like, the best news of your life and then immediately following that life-changing news? I'm not going to say it's necessarily mm-hmm. bad news, but I'm going to say it's life-changing news that, like, it's going to take you a minute to process. Yeah. And it's going to change, like, this life-changing, the life-changing news you just received. Like, it's going to take you a minute to, like, realize, like, oh, God, what does this change? Like, this was always my dream. That That's a lot. So, like... Yes, Nathan always seems to walk out on Haley when these conversations get tough. But, like, in this moment, I I think any human would need some space to think (laughs) and be by themselves. (laughs) And uh, what did you think about, like, uh, Zayn butting into the situation? Well, it's not surprising. (laughs) What is surprising? I did see your note on our script. (laughs) Yeah, I left that in. I left that in our general outline by accident. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I totally agree out. with it. Why in the world would Haley ever go to Dan and reveal that? Yeah, I know she wants to like have Dan reach Nathan, which Dan can do that in a way that maybe other people can't. At least sometimes. So there, there's that's a good point there. But why still would she go to Dan <laughs> and not expect him to manipulate? And Dan does reach out to Nathan and does manipulate the situation. He says, like, oh, like, you know, what about what about your dreams? Like, you know, like, uh, are you going to do the same thing for her? Oh, wait, you already did when you let her go on tour. And it's like, like, yeah, that's like Dan's making sense in his own warped way. But at the, at the same time, it's just like Nathan does need to take responsibility. I'm not saying he doesn't need to, of course. But I think it is, like, very fair for him to be reacting this way. I know. And, like, Dan had that kind of tender moment with Haley 
where he's like he'll talk to Nathan and that you know he, he like touches Haley's face and just like kind of comforts her and it's a weird side of Dan that we really have never seen before personally I don't think we have <laughs> Dan being like tender <laughs> so it, it's all fake it's all facade because then he just goes behind Haley's back and puts all these thoughts into Nathan's head. And he says, like, oh, like, I had you, and I uh, still went away and played ball. And, like, yes, but you also were a pretty shitty father, Dan. So, like, I really don't think you're the role model for this type of situation, really. He's seeing the same situation play out in his son's life as his own life. And he doesn't want his son to have any regrets. It's always about basketball with Dan. And that is always going to take precedence over anything else. He's not going to change in that way, I don't think. (laughs) That's just how Dan is. So for Haley to like, wow, she really kind of gave Dan some credit there and thinking that he could handle this knowledge about the pregnancy and Duke and everything. So... That, to me, is the more surprising part of the storyline. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, Speaking of other surprising parts, though, um, can we talk about some of the other reactions that some of the other characters had around Haley, particularly Brooke, when... uh... (laughs) 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 So, you know, Brooke asks, like, you know, like, oh, did you tell Nathan? And then Haley's like, yeah, and he walked out on me. And Brooke's like, I'm sorry, Haley, but... Now that Nathan knows, it would be okay if this sort of slipped out that you were pregnant, right? It, like, doesn't even care about comfort in Haley. She just, like, she yep. just doesn't what matter if this just slipped out. And then she gets up on the on the table outside and she's like, hey, everyone, I'm not the one who's pregnant. Haley is. I'm not the one with roast on slow cook. Haley is. Yes. And Haley is so uncomfortable and so traumatized. Like, it's so funny, but I'm also like, Brooke, like, your friend kind of needs you right now. (laughs) She just said that her husband walked out on her. And to call her out and tell everyone that news? (laughs) That's horrifying. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then another interesting person, which goes, pushes us to the next thing we were going to talk about is Rachel. Oh, I, I want to talk about one more person before we get sure. into her, actually. <laughs> uh, Karen. When uh, she just hugs Haley and she says, welcome to my history, Haley James Scott. And I'm like, this is not your history, Karen. <laughs> you were not married in high school. True. But, I mean, she was pregnant at the end of high school, so. Yeah. Also, uh, <laughs> when, when, when Karen, like, hugs Haley, doesn't it look like the two of them are about to make out? I didn't pick up on that, so... <laughs> uh, like, the way... I'm telling you, the way, like, you know, like, Karen is, like, positioning her and, like, looks at Haley, and the way the two of them are just, like, looking at each other, it literally looks like the two of them are about to kiss, and then they just, like, hesitate, and then they, like, embrace each other. <laughs> I didn't pick up on it. I have to rewatch the scene. <laughs> rewatch that scene, thinking that, because, like, I-, I thought this I thought this back in 2006. I remember thinking that then. Really? And I still think that in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'll have to look at that later. <laughs> but anyway, I-, I hope Haley is 18 here. Not, not that it wouldn't be gross either, either way, but still. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes, la- now let's uh, let's talk about uh, Rachel's reaction to the news. 
As soon as she hears that news from Nathan, Nathan's the one who tells her, right? Yeah, because Rachel is like getting all like getting all sexy. Yeah, she yeah. unbuttons her shirt, like lights some candles, and then she sits down on the bed and she's like, "Come here, like we both went through something, and let's help each other." And then that's what Nathan says. Haley's pregnant. Rachel's like, "You mean Brooke?" Nathan's like, "No, the rumors are wrong. It's actually Haley." Yeah. And then that's when Rachel confesses, I didn't actually see Keith. Meeting her revelation at the end of the last episode is completely false. Oh, Rachel. You could have guessed that, though. I th- I bought into it back in 2006, honestly. Really? I thought, like, oh my god, did she actually see Keith? <laughs> he, like we mentioned before, like, this, what were they trying to do? This, like, super supernatural element? Like, if she did see Keith? <laughs> what would that mean for the storyline, you know? I, I don't know. I'm glad they ended this pretty quickly, though. But uh, I gotta say, though, like, the way Rachel reacted is pretty classy. I really like the fact that she's like, she just decides to just back off from Nathan after that point. Yeah, it was pretty abrupt, actually. Like, as soon as he said that, the music's off, and she's like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And then later on in the episode, she has this moment at the press conference and tells Nathan that, like, this that their child will have the best parents. So it was, like, yeah. a really sweet moment for them. So you can mm-hmm. tell, like, she's totally done with with trying to pursue him. Thankfully, thank God, because I yes. did not want to continue <laughs> with this. And also to give her some credit too, like even earlier in the episode too, like she tries to tell Nathan, like he's going to be okay. She says, your parents have money. Your baby is going to be beautiful. And maybe your dead uncle saved your life because you were destined for greatness. So she's, this is such a good character growth moment for her. And that moment that you talked about at the press conference, I thought that was so beautiful. I'm like, this is the character. This is the Rachel Gatina that I love so fucking much. Like, she has so many layers, and uh, I also want to note, too, that I actually have this whole conversation written down. Um, Rachel walks up to Nathan at the conference and says, like, are you all right? Nathan's like, uh, no, uh, no wife, no mom. And then Rachel says, just lying bitches like me. I really wanted to help you, Nathan, and most of the time, that means sex in my world. But that wasn't fair to you, or Haley. Plus, there's all this Cooper stuff that's going to take years of therapy. And then she asks, how's Haley doing? Like, ugh, I love this woman so much. She's such a villain and she's terrible, but like, she does have a heart deep underneath. Like, yeah. you know, just like Mouth said, like pretty much all last season. I know. I want to see that side of her more, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't see that enough. <laughs> yep. And, oh, and also, like, a shout-out to the, just to go back to the fact that Rachel and Nathan are not going to happen. Uh, early in the episode, Rachel asks, if uh, if Haley wasn't pregnant, do I have a shot? And Nathan just quickly says, not for a second. Like, yo! <laughs> so that shuts that down completely. But also, I feel like we've alluded to this in previous episodes, that, like, this storyline does not go anywhere. And as you can see, it does not. But I still think, like, wouldn't it have been so much more interesting if, like, 
Rachel would like had her own PTSD and she had her own like hero worship syndrome toward Nathan. But instead, it's literally just all about like, you know, like, oh, Nathan's hot. I want to have sex with him. That's all. Or we could see these characters in therapy. Like, what yeah. a what a revelation. Seeing yeah. these characters in therapy. Uh-huh. And they can develop their own sort of bonds because because yes. in a way, like, you know, Nathan and you know, Nathan and Rachel, they did go through something traumatic together. And, you know, and Cooper is gone, so they they only have each other to talk to right now. This would have been so, so cool to say, but instead they don't process this at all. And Nathan's whole PTSD, like, uh, I'm sorry to say, like, new viewers, but this storyline kind of goes nowhere now, too, because we don't really delve into Nathan's PTSD anymore. Now it's all about uh, Haley being pregnant. Yep. <laughs> it is kind of strange, because, like, th- is this, after this episode, I don't think it's addressed at all again. Nope. There's no closure. I feel like there's a bit of closure, like, later on in Dakota, but even then, I feel like that's kind of reaching. But anyway, Nathan gets in the dupe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that happened before and after this press conference. So Nathan does go to Deb's house. Deb congratulates him. And he says, like, I want you to be at the press conference. Sober. I want you to be there sober. And she says, trust me, Nathan. I'll be there. And then, of course, she doesn't show up. Because you see, once they have that conversation, Nathan walks away and Deb's face is just like, oh, God, I can't do it. Yeah. So you kind of knew. And, like, think about the last episode. Deb chose the pills over Nathan. There was that whole scene. Mm -hmm. So it's like now Nathan's going up to her and expecting that she's going to be sober. I understand why he would think that, though. As the kid in that situation, you want your parents to be the good person in the situation. So I feel like he's just, he's fighting a losing battle and it's like very, very upsetting for him. And I also feel like this may have played into uh, his revelation at the press conference, too, because he realized like, hey, my dad is being kind of shitty and my mom isn't even here. I don't want to be absentee for my own kid. So I feel like that was a little bit of a wake-up call for him in a way. Yeah, and it's interesting how, like, these storylines, there's, like, parallels now as as you're seeing, like, the characters, the teenage characters (laughs) grow up. You're seeing, like, these mirror images almost of the parents, which is really interesting. And then Nathan says something very, very beautiful at the press conference. I love this moment. (laughs) Like, I actually got a little bit moved here. I was like, this is so cute. (laughs) It is because, like, you're switching between, like, Nathan speaking and then Haley watching it on screen with Karen. And it's like, you can feel the emotions. And Haley's surprised when Nathan says it's the greatest day of his life and not because he got into Duke because of the baby so that makes you like us as viewers it makes you feel like things are going to be okay and then you can see like Haley's realizing okay that's the nathan that i know he's telling me mm-hmm. things are going to be okay so we're, we're going to be in this together so it reassures her it reassures us as the audience oh they're adorable 
that's what I just I just love that about like you know just seeing a couple on screen where like it, it's not necessarily like hunky dory like everything's perfect but like he just acknowledges the fact like whatever happens we'll face it together and everything's gonna be okay I love you and I just I love seeing couples like you know couples who have conflicts and they actually work through it together instead of just like letting it slide it's just so great yeah because. Haley and Nathan have a history of arguments and and things, but they always seem to work it out in the end, which is like a really healthy thing to show <laughs> mm-hmm. about a relationship. Like, you're going to have those tough moments, but at the same time, like, they end up talking about it and working it out. So it's like a really positive thing about their relationship. And it's like unique to them on this show, unique to their, like, relationship. Uh, compared to the other relationships yeah. on the show. Mm, thus far, yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, then after the press conference, we also see that uh, Dan has a little message on his wall. Genesis 410. And Dan dismisses it. He's like, oh, it's all in your head. But then later on, Whitey tells, uh, confronts Dan, says like, oh, your son was a man. And then he looks behind the wall and says, I didn't know you were religious. Genesis 4.10. So these messages are not in Dan's head. He's not just hallucinating this stuff. Like, this is very, very real. So it's confirmation to us, the audience, that, yes, he is having hallucinations. Like, the you saw the newspaper article, like, Mayor Kills Big Brother. Oh, wait, it says Mayor Kills Big big Budget. So there are some things that, are, that he is hallucinating, but this is very much real. So somebody does know. Yeah, that takes a turn. Because this whole time, you know, you're thinking he's, it's his guilt, and that's why he's envisioning these things, but, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Another <laughs> oh boy moments. <laughs> yeah. Brooke uh, meets somebody because Rachel made a fake online dating profile for her. <laughs> Making Brooke a 23-year-old fashion designer named Peyton. <laughs> Didn't Brooke do this to Peyton? A few seasons ago, with the did she lie about Peyton's age with the butt pictures and everything? She did, yes, but I don't remember uh, lying about her age. I think she would have to in order to make a profile, right? I don't, there were dating profiles for teens back in our day. Were there? Yeah, do you remember Zeusk? No. Yeah, there were definitely like okay. some that's, teen that's friendly news to me. <laughs> Teen profiles. Or do you, do you remember Hot or Not? No. Oh, God. Okay. You were on the whole sub corner of the internet. Yeah. Hot or Not. <laughs> I was not looking into that stuff. Hot or Not. Basically, like, uh, there would be pictures, like, of just, like, random people, and you would vote, are they hot or are they not? And I don't remember, like, what happened with it or anything like that, but I feel like you, if you posted your picture, you would get the results and see, like, who was calling you hot and who was saying you're not. So it's like, wow, body image issues. Oh my yeah. god. I am so glad I didn't encounter that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah. So, Rachel makes this completely fake dating profile, and then they go out for happy hour to the place where Cooper, or the place where Rachel met Cooper. Which I thought was, like, a nice little character detail. And uh, this is when uh, Rachel says, surprise, surprise, you're on a date with this guy. (laughs) And this guy introduces himself. His name is Nick, who is played by Ray Valentine. And 
it seems like these two are hitting it off a little bit. And they uh they walk past Tree Hill High, and Brooke makes up a lie and says, like, this is Tree Hill High, where I used to be a student, and then reveals that she was a cheerleader, and then Nick is like, oh, do you still have the uniform? And then Brooke's like, I may be able to get it out. And then she's like, what were you like in high school? And he's like, oh, I was horny, mostly for cheerleaders. And then they proceed to walk into the school. <laughs> they walk into the school, and we'll get into this in the coda later, yeah. but yeah, they they make out. They have a pretty steamy little hookup. Which, there's a lot of issues with this, as we'll get into with the coda. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, are you ready for the big stuff? Yeah. yeah, we did this like rapid fire, because I feel like the bulk of the episode is going to be focusing on... The Psycho Derek storyline. So the episode kicks off with uh, Lucas at the uh, doctor's appointment with Karen. And this is when he spots the sex worker from the previous episode. She has a bloody leg and is wearing Peyton's jacket. And that, uh, a blonde wig. A, and the blonde wig, yes. And you know, Lucas initially thinks it's Peyton. And he's like, he's like, that's my friend's jacket. And then the sex worker is just like, take it, I don't need it. Lucas is like, what happened? She's like, nothing. I guess I'm just clumsy is all. And she takes off the wig. Yeah. Which I'm like, this is, this is really sad for this particular character too, because if you think, you know, think about it a little bit deeper, think about it a little bit more deeply, the fact she probably can't talk about this. Because she is a sex worker, and I don't know what what the laws were for sex work back in North Carolina in 2006, but this is very, very sad for her, I think. But the show doesn't want to really delve into that, though, because a, a few scenes later, Lucas just calls her a hooker, and she's like, oh, she looks like a hooker. Completely dismissing the fact that like this woman was a victim of like assault here. And also, why was he actually even assuming that? She just... With someone with a wig and a jacket? I don't know. She didn't really, like, scream. I I don't know. That's, like, an assumption, personally. It really is an assumption, yeah. But, ugh. But, yeah, I just feel like this whole entire thing is, like, a little bit disparaging towards sex workers, and they don't really dive into that. Like, how cool would it have been if they sought out this sex worker and said, like, hey, who attacked you? What happened? Instead, they don't make it about that. But there's a lot of other stories to tell, so what can you do? Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get more information from her, eventually. Mm-hmm. Instead, Lucas, like, took it took it on his own and told Peyton that, you know, he found the jacket and it was, like, this really weird situation and he's concerned about Derek. But Peyton, like, says, well, I mean, he's been really good to me. I, I don't, like... I don't want to make this a negative thing, you know? Let, let's just trust that he's okay. So then that that scene ends, but then it zooms in on the bridge and you see Derek up there. Yeah. Like lo- being all Michael Myers like. On the school. That was so creepy. <laughs> very, very good and very, very effective. Yes, though. it really was effective. So then Lucas continues to, like, dig into this because something is not right uh, about Derek. He goes into Peyton's room and he finds the 
information, like the letter that Ellie had written that she found with Derek's contact information. So he takes that to the police and basically says, you know, like, I'm worried about my friend and talk to this guy and, you know. Real quickly, though. The fact that that phone number is in that card. I know. And then later on, they end up using that phone number to track down what we find out is the real Derek. Derek. So I want to know, this phone number, like, how was Peyton communicating with Derek during this entire time? Because she always had this phone number. So was she just communicating with Derek through email? Yeah. Because that phone number didn't change. (laughs) This actually dawned on me, too, because I was like, that doesn't make sense. You would think... Like, she would question that, that the, the phone number was different. But yeah. who knows? Maybe we haven't that was seen a her house... talk to Derek think, on think. the phone. Maybe he said that's, like, a house number, and then they're using cell phones. So oh, okay. That could be a way to explain <laughs> it. But yes, there is definitely a discrepancy this there back, between... This is fact or in an era when people had a landline and a cell phone number, kids. This was a thing. <laughs> So, okay, that is fair, actually. Okay, I can justify it then. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense, but who knows? They probably weren't thinking thinking that far into it, but... Yeah. But I, I like that. I feel like that's a really good justification, and I'm just going to go with it. So, yeah. okay, I'll let it go. <laughs> um, but yeah, Lucas does, uh, he does go to the uh, police, and I just have to say, ACAB, except for Detective Wilcox, because this seems to be a cop that actually believes the victim in this situation. And, like, Lucas doesn't even have much to go on, either. He's, like, basically just tells the cop that he's worried about his friend. Yeah. He doesn't really have much evidence, so the fact that they're actually even taking it this seriously to bring in this guy right. is wild. And a real cop would not do this, for the record. Oh, God. Caitlin. What? We talk a lot about how One Tree Hill can be anti-choice. Is it also copaganda? <laughs> Is this show actually secretly conservative? Listeners, like, weigh in, please tell us. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> are, are they, like, driving, like, conservative messages down our throats? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyway, while this is happening, uh, Peyton decides to, or Peyton, I should say, let me, let me jump back a little bit. Peyton receives an IM from who she believes is Lucas. And, you know, this person is being all flirty and whatnot. Say, like, I love that smile and your ass. And there's a double Y in your. And then Peyton looks and she finds that, like, oh, Derek sent me a Derek sent me an email, and that also included a double a double Y in the message. So she decides to go to his hotel room, which I'm like, why, Peyton? You do not need to do this, but she does it anyway. She uh, opens up Derek's laptop. She finds a screensaver of herself, and she also sees that she opens up a Word document or whatever, and then she types the Y. There it is, the double Y. And then she also finds the photo that uh, of Ellie holding her as a baby in the hotel room. So this is what causes Peyton to come to Lucas and says, like, you were right about everything. I'm so sorry I ever doubted you. And uh, she grabs her things and then she goes over to Lucas's house. It's, uh, let, me, uh, let me get into some of my... Uh, 
sexual awakening here, Caitlin. <laughs> so, in this episode? For one, in this episode, let me tell you, okay? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, like, it, maybe it's just that I just have for I have a thing for, like, skinny, white, blonde twinks, but... <laughs> Chad looks really, really good in this in that like really tight blue T-shirt. He does. For what? It just like clings to him in like all of the right places. So I'm like really into that for one thing. And then um, when Peyton is like after Peyton is done getting changed, there's a moment where uh, Chad, I'm sorry, where Lucas. <laughs> I'm separating the character and the actor for a second. Where Lucas leads backward, and he's like, whoa. Because he's looking at Peyton in her cheerleading uniform. And he's like, is this your way of saying thank you? <laughs> and he does, like, this little pose where, like, his arm is behind his head. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why, was... I just find that particular shot to be so hot. <laughs> and I feel like maybe this is my route, both for my fetishization of armpits... And also for praise, and also my praise kink. So this episode was a root for me in that regard. This is the origin of that. <laughs> yes. So, if anybody ever wondered, Jeremy, why do you like armpits and why do you have a praise kink? It is season four, episode five of One Tree Hill. Thank you very much. <laughs> I had so, no idea. <laughs> So thank you for letting me share that. I just uh, needed to say that. But I did like that <laughs> moment. It was cute and it was flirty. But like it was flirty, but like in a friend way, kind of. I don't know. It was cute. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. So I, you know, <sighs> I, I understand like Lucas is, I guess, Peyton's savior, if you will, in this episode. So... He's always saving her. I know there's an issue with that. (laughs) But at the same time, they are very cute together in this episode. And I really enjoyed seeing them on screen. In those moments. Just like walking around school, you know, at the beginning. I I know they were talking about like serious thing with Derek. But like you're just getting a different energy from them than we've seen on screen. Just compared to even last season. They have that friendship vibe going on this season, and I, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm really digging it. I am so. But <laughs> the one that I gotta say, just to, just to critique the storyline a little bit, though, I really hate that it's the man who knows everything. It's the man who's smart in a situation, and not the the woman. Because it's Lucas who does all the work, so like make sure like Derek gets apprehended. But I get that. And I agree there is a problem with that. But at the same time, you're meeting who you think is your brother and you want to see the good in them. So I understand Peyton's position. Why is she going to question something that should be a good thing? And so far, it has seemed to be a good thing. So an outsider like Lucas is going to see some weird things from a different perspective than she's going to see it. I know, but Peyton has usually so guarded when she gets to know people, and this is her first time opening up to somebody, and it just almost feels like she's getting punished in a way, because like she's finally opening up to somebody, and that's why I don't particularly care for it. I almost wonder, like, how would the storyline have been different if they positioned it like, what if Peyton was having all these second guesses about uh, about Derek, 
And then it was Lucas who was saying, like, oh, like, you know, you shouldn't have second guesses. Like, you know, he's he's a good guy. You should let good people into your life because you always push people away. Like, what if it was positioned in that way instead? We end up getting this instead, so, like, whatever. Like, this is the storyline they decided to pursue, but it just makes you wonder, what if? Yeah, they could have kind of swapped it. Like, Lucas could have still helped her and been involved in the end and yeah. figuring out who Derek is, but... Yeah, you're right. Like, she could have questioned Like, Lucas could come around. I'm not saying Lucas should, like, gaslight her or anything like that. I wouldn't want to see that either. But, you know, at least have it, like, slightly come around (laughs) at the very end. I I think this is a very effective horror show. But I do have some issues with it. Which, oh, um, we didn't even talk about, like, the one, like, pretty intense scene when Derek enters the hotel room. When Peyton is still there investigated. And Peyton's trying to cover, saying, like, oh, um... I'm going to be pretty busy with school, and my dad's back. And he starts to get really, like, frustrated. He says, like, he's not even your real father. And he keeps saying, like, he cares about her. Do you care about me or or whatever? And it's like, Peyton just kind of, like, nods and walks away. (laughs) Yeah, she just says, goodbye, Derek. Also, some of the language that he's using, he said, I just wanted to get to know you, to really get inside you. Ugh. Yeah, that's gross. It's very, very creepy and very effective. Very well acted by Matt Barr. Oh, for sure. I think. This is the first big horror moment in this in this whole show. Mm-hmm. Which one that I one that I gotta say though, like, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, you've seen Dawson's Creek all the way through. I've only seen one season of Dawson's Creek, but I know they have these Halloween episodes where, like, there's a horror like storyline that permeates throughout all of the characters. What would you think if they did that instead for this episode? What if there was like a little bit of a horror show for like all of the characters instead of just like siloed into just one character here? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is effective because it, like, takes you out of the rest of the story and you're, like, zeroed in on Peyton and what she's going through. But, like, I I feel like it would just have a different kind of tone or vibe to it. I just wish this focus on the whole episode, though. I know. Because, yeah. I, because as, uh, as Hillary has mentioned, um, she hated the storyline because it was essentially, like, added in to bring in male viewers and uh, it all, and what you call like, there was apparently people behind the scenes who said, like, oh my god, we have so many men watching the show now because they want to see you get punched in the face. Ha ha. Like, they make a whole joke out of it. And it's like, it, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it seems kind of disingenuous to just make this, like, in the same episode where uh, Nathan, where Haley admits that she's pregnant and where Brooke is making out with a school teacher. Like, it just seems, it just doesn't seem right to me. I feel like if they, I feel like they did something really great and very experimental by doing, like, a horror storyline in One Tree Hill. But I think it would have been cooler if they made it, like, the whole entire episode rather than centering, like, the whole misogynistic aspect of it. By being like, oh, we need to add this in because we need more men to watch the show. (laughs) Yeah. That is, was an interesting, like, little tidbit about this on Drama Queens. Like, that they wanted more male viewers and they thought this was the way to do it. That's assuming a lot of different things. 
Yeah. It's also <laughs> assuming very shitty things about men, yes. for one thing. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's it's assuming some interesting things there. But yeah, like, I, I can... <laughs> I commend them for, like, wanting to do something different with this episode, but I just, I, I almost wish it was its own episode. Like, just imagine, like, a whole 40-minute horror show that just focused on Peyton and Lucas and, you know, the whole Derek mystery. Like, it just seemed raw to mix in Brooke and Haley and Nathan into all this. It does feel, when you put it like that, it does feel a bit random, because, like, you have these other storylines that I have a totally different tone than yeah. this. And if this feels like you could have taken it out of this episode and put it into its own thing. And it takes up the majority of the episode, too. So it's... They could have added more. They could have cut some more. Or they could have pulled a Dawson's Creek. Like, I think The Scare, the season one episode of Dawson's Creek, is fantastic television. Because they center horror throughout the entire thing. Granted, that was also Kevin Williamson capitalized on scream and a bunch of other things that he was doing at that time but you know it just it, it just makes you think like what we could have gotten here i know kind of like a bottle episode yeah oh ima- imagine a whole episode where peyton is just receiving phone calls from Derek, and it's all like wholesome and then she finds out that he's actually like a psychopath like trying to break into her house <laughs> Like, basically, rip yeah. off Scream. Like, you have to do something like that. To, to build the tension. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't get that. Instead, we got this uh, pretty intense uh, sequence. Um, So, Lucas goes to the police station. He uh, sees the guy in the interrogation room. And he's well, like, that's not him. Yeah, because they're at the press conference. And... Lucas gets the call that they have Derek. So it's like Peyton's relieved in that moment. And Lucas is like, we'll meet up later. Let me just go by myself to see this guy. And yes, I just want to say that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, And that, you know, because Peyton decides to go back to her house and she even tells Lucas like, well, why don't you come back to my house after you're done? You know, and I think the implication is like, we'll come back, come back to my house. Like, you know, something cute will happen. You think so? I think there was an implication there, for sure. Okay. And then, of course, shit hits the fan. Yeah. Obviously, because Lucas says, like, that's not him, and it's not Derek. It is a black guy who was in the interrogation room. And then uh, Lucas calls up Peyton, and is like, Peyton, like, they got the wrong guy. And uh, at the same at the same time, like, you know, this uh, guy who was in the interrogation room comes running after Lucas and says, hey, I want to talk to you. And then, like, Lucas decides to just run off because Peyton ends up, like, trying to cover up. And she says, hey, Lucas, I need to go. Uh, My dad's going to be home soon. And also, Derek's here. And then she hands up. But I'm also like, Lucas, like, why don't you turn around? You're at the police station. I, I know, like, this guy is running after you right now. This this other guy. <laughs> but, like, go to the police station. <laughs> you are there. I know. You do not have to try to be the hero. I mean, maybe we can think that he did tell them, but I guess, I guess not. And he ran off. But I don't like, think the police he did because... show up. So who called them? Was it the other Derek who went back in and said this guy is running away? I, I, maybe. I... Or I imagine like after Derek fell out the window, maybe they called the police or at some point True. then. True. But still, it's like 
You can literally, like, Lucas could have showed up with the police, and I hate the cops, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> in this situation, like, maybe you should have guns here. <laughs> Anyway, oh my god. Yeah, so... That just annoys me. But anyway, uh, so basically, like, the last, like, nine... Last nine minutes or so of this episode, or, like... I mean, you know, there's, like, nine minutes left of the episode at this point, but, you know, this sequence lasts about five minutes. And uh, it's basically a straight-up horror movie where Peyton is trying to get into her, get into her house, and uh, Tarek tries to assault her, but then she leaves her phone behind and then like you know locks the door and then she tries to call the police and then Derek reveals like oh i disconnected the phone this accelerated really fast from realizing like so Derek, because earlier in the episode when peyton peyton and lucas were together outside her house and she like hugged him and said oh you're right there's something wrong with Derek." Derek drives by and realizes like, I guess he infers that they figured it out. So yeah. I guess on his own time, then he's going to the house and he hung up all these pictures of Peyton in her room, cut the phone line, who knows what else. That was really creepy, yeah. too. When she goes into her room, like, her safe place, in a way, and that's where, you know, he completely, like, defiled that entire room. It's very, very effective. Yeah, I can't imagine how disturbing it would be to go into a room where you have all these, like, voyeuristic images <laughs> of yourself. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yet y- yeah, alone, like, you know, like a teenage girl's room, which is, like, you're supposed to be your safe haven. And, like, this has been, like, Peyton's safe safe haven for, like, the last, like, th- three seasons and five episodes or so. And then Derek completely invades that space. He brings out a taser. And he's about to use it, and then that's when Lucas runs into the bedroom and tackles him, and Peyton starts to get away, and then the, as we find out, the other Derek <laughs> arrives, and is like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, the, so, like, you know, he, he's pinned up, uh, he pins a fake Derek up against the wall, and then he's like, who, Derek is like, who the hell are you? And then... What we can assume is the real Derek. He says, I'm her brother, bitch. Who the hell are you? <laughs> what did you do you remember what you thought when you saw this at this <laughs> at the time? I don't really have Oh, that's a good question. I don't really remembered other than just being really surprised. What about you? I remember thinking this is a great, like, subversion of expectations a little bit because you get, like, this pretty white blonde guy <laughs> who comes in and you think, like, oh, that's gotta be Peyton's brother, of yes. course. And then we end up finding out, like, oh, it's not the pretty white blonde guy at all. <laughs> it's this guy instead. And I I just think it was, like, a very interesting twist. Like, it's very subversive in a way. Mm-hmm. So I really liked it at the time, I think. Yeah, I liked it, too. It went in an interesting direction like you weren't expecting it so but that like both uh it seems like real Derek and lucas are out of commission and then Derek is like fake Derek, i should say it's like there's only room for one guy in peyton's life and then you see lucas standing up being like no way and then him and real Derek push him out the window 
in a very Halloween Michael Myers-esque fashion. Yeah, that was pretty epic. And he lands on the lawn on his back. Woo! Yup. Like, this came out of nowhere. This type of episode, like, episode ending. <laughs> it really, like, you knew something was going on with Derek in the previous two episodes. But, like, I think even as a first, first-time first viewer, I did not imagine this kind of episode on One Tree Hill at all. It was pretty yep. exciting, though. And there are moments I really do like about this episode, because I'm, I'm a horror fanatic, of course. But knowing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I can't help but, like, separate some of that shit. But anyway, we're not sharing our ratings yet. Let's talk about the coda, City of Devils by Yellow Card. And this is, uh, we're in Peyton's bedroom. And this is when Peyton Lucas and real Derek, who introduces himself to Peyton as her brother, looks down at the fake Derek. Uh, on the grass. And I also want to note uh, real quickly here, Derek introduces himself the same way as fake Derek did in episode two, because he says, I guess I'm your brother. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Which, there could be something to unpack there later, but that's not for this episode. Next, we're in Dan's office, where he's reading the Bible passage that was written on his wall, and it reads... And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Cut to the classroom. Brooke and Nick are making out. Then we're in Deb's living room, and she is lying on the couch, and Nathan covers her with a blanket, which is really sad because it's like she didn't go she wasn't there. to the press conference. And he still cares about his yeah. mom because I feel like he wants he wants his parents to be better people. And then we're back to the classroom, and this is when Nick asks for Brooke's number, and she declines, but says, "But you can email me." <laughs> and then Nick smiles. <laughs> Hence my intro. <laughs> I feel like this is Brooke's way of saying, like, "Hey, like, I just needed to have like one fun night. Like, I really didn't want to do anything serious here or anything." And that's why she said, like, no, you can't have my phone number, but you can email me and maybe I'll answer. It just sounds, like, so dated, though. Like, you can email me. (laughs) That's why it's so funny, because, like, in today's world, you would say, just message me or whatever. Message me, like, somewhere on on some platform. (laughs) You can email me. (laughs) I chuckled. I always say, like, oh, you can message me. And, like, who knows, like, what that person, where that person will message you. Yep. <laughs> Whatever platform they have access to you, that's where they'll access you. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah. I remember back in this day, like, I used to, I did used to email people. Like, I emailed friends. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I know. It's just a dated term. Like, I'm, yeah. obviously, email exists. I use email all the time. But, like, for <laughs> professional or personal stuff, not necessarily for, like, friends. Talking to people, you know? <laughs> I email you all the time, Caitlin. <laughs> about podcast stuff. Yeah, it's all about podcast stuff, so it doesn't even count. <laughs> <laughs> I never emailed you like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> no. I'll do that after this, after this call. Hey, Caitlin, how are you doing? <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> Oh, anyway. <laughs> All right. Next, we're in Naley's apartment. And Nathan says to Haley, you know, I thought it was a miracle that I survived that accident. And I guess I never really felt worthy of it. Now I know that miracle wasn't for me. 
It was for us, all three of us. And they kiss. So yes. cute. So everything's going to be okay here. And then we are at the Tree Hill High hallway. Nick is alone. And do you want to do a dramatic reading of this? Sure. Do you want to be, do you want to be Nick? I can be Turner. All right. What are you doing here? I was just making sure I'm prepared for my first day. <laughs> Relax, Nick. You're a great teacher. I have a feeling the students are going to love you. Oh, man. I remember not. I remember being shocked. This was shocking. And as a first time viewer, I was shocked. Yep. And there's more to say here that we can't talk about in this episode. <laughs> oh, boy. What's going to happen next? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and what happens last to Dakota, Caitlin? So we're outside Peyton's house. Um, the police are there at that point. And they, Peyton and Lucas and everyone are showing where, quote unquote, Derek, whoever he is, should be on the lawn. And he is no longer there. Yup. And Lucas holds Peyton and it's very clear that things aren't safe right now. Yeah. So now where did he go? How did he survive that? Oh, my. This is like a perfect horror trope or whatever that was used because yep. What's the villain who you think died or at least was really hurt enough to be taken away by the police is no longer yes. there where you last saw Now him. we just need a, we need a sequel where Peyton is confined to a hospital for the majority of the episode only to come out swinging in the last 10-15 minutes. <laughs> oh, yes. That's me throwing shade at the original Halloween <laughs> too. <laughs> As well as a little bit of Halloween kills. I would uh, I would throw some shade toward that as well. <laughs> I actually really like Halloween too. And I really love Halloween kills. But there are complicated feelings I have toward it because of that reason. Anyway. <laughs> this is not Side a Halloween tangent. podcast. <laughs> Alright, what was your favorite quote, Jeremy? I really like what uh, Nathan said to Haley during Dakota. He said, you know, I thought it was a miracle that I survived that accident, and I guess I never really felt worthy of it. Now I know that miracle wasn't for me. It was for us. All three of us. Yeah, that's really sweet. Yes. I actually liked what Nathan said during the press conference. Oh, really? Towards the end, he says, Haley, no matter what happens, we'll face it together. I promise you I've never been happier. Everything's going to be okay. I love you. And I just, I love how it was delivered and like seeing Haley's reaction as he's saying it. It was great. Just a great moment. I love that. What was your favorite musical moment? I have to go with the coda, City of Devils by Yellow Card. Same. I don't think there are other musical moments. There are a few other songs, but like this is the one that really, I think, stands out in this episode. And like as soon as they push Derek out of the window and he lands and they're looking out like that's when the song begins and you hear like the guitar playing and I just like how it it started just just after like that moment when he's on the ground so that's very very effective it's really good yes what's your rating so I am going to give this episode which is actually my favorite so far this season A four out of five roasts on slow cook. (laughs) (laughs) 
I enjoyed this one the most. I especially like the horror show at the end of the episode, even though I know there's like some backstory and issues with it. Overall, I thought it was pretty strong of the story and it's different from what we've seen in One Tree Hill. And I liked the action of it and the mystery behind it. Like, who is this other Derek then? And who is the actual Derek? And there's just a lot of questions that you're left with. What about you? I agree. Uh, I really do like the horror aspect. And I really like the all the separate pieces of this episode. But just like all of these pieces coming together as a whole, I don't really think works. So that's why I give it four out of five copaganda messages. <laughs> okay, so we gave it the same rating. And I think we that did, was our yes. highest, for both of us, our highest this season. Yeah. See, listeners, we told you there are some episodes in the season that we like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because we really trashed the show for the first four episodes, I think. <laughs> I mean, it was a little rough, actually. But there's a lot more it to really come. Is. That's good, too. So yeah. I'm really curious to see like, what uh, what listeners think of this uh, episode if they don't like horror movies, though. Because you and I are pretty biased. We love horror. But I know some pe- there's people who don't like horror at all, or some people who get scared very easily. So... Please, listeners, uh, let us know what you think of this episode if you do not like horror. We actually have quite a bit of our overlap in our Discord, ironically, like most people have. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of horror lovers, so. Yeah, we're all like, you know, everybody on our Discord is like pretty much a horror fan, so I want to hear from somebody else. And also, you should uh, join our Patreon and help us on the Discord, because we would like more non-horror fan representation. <laughs> Yeah, I would honestly be really interested to hear that because, like, going watching One Tree Hill, like, you're not expecting a storyline like this or a, a sequence of scenes like the end of this episode. So, yeah, I'm curious because I think it, it held up in terms of the horror aspect of it. It's still pretty scary. Yeah. But as we know, more, more and more about what went on behind the scenes... There's some aspects that have not aged well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Always and Forever. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. Always and Forever is also on Patreon. As we noted earlier, you can support us over on patreon.com slash alwaysothpod to gain access to our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners about your about what you hate about horror. Please tell us. You'll also get access to bonus episodes, including our spoiler full mini episodes. We just released an episode with where we ranked our favorite horror movie episodes of One Tree Hill. And there are many more to come, so you'll have to hear about those. Yeah, today's is just the first. <laughs> yup. <laughs> so you'll have to see where this ranks for Caitlin and yep. me. Um, you'll also get access to our Drama Queens Reaction Podcast, Royal Review, and our movie podcast, Baker Soundstage. You can also access early episode releases. But if you can't support us on Patreon, you can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's the easiest way to support us and to help One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. And if you leave us a review, we may read it on the show. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and I don't know, maybe you can follow me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. But I'm also fucking around on threads as well. 
I don't know, like, how that's working out for me, but that's Rodriguez Jeremy with an underscore at the end, because Rodriguez Jeremy was taken already. Oh my god. Already? Yeah. Uh, Well, it's the same as your Instagram username. Oh, oh, it is. Okay. So that person is, you know, still has that username. And I don't think that person has posted since, like, 2007 or whatever. I don't even know if Instagram existed in 2007. No, it did not. I don't think so. (laughs) well, they haven't posted in a long time, so I'm just letting this Rodriguez share me now. I have a feud with you. <laughs> because you took my username. I took Rodriguez share me on Twitter, but everywhere else, including PlayStation, it's already taken. Now you also know my PlayStation username if you want to play games with me, friends. <laughs> All right, anyway. I'm Caitlin <laughs> Illinich. <laughs> and you can, for now at least, follow me on Twitter at Miss Ivory's. Like to you know go on this big long tangent about usernames and everything. Where else can people find me? My MySpace. <laughs> anyway, we'll be seeing ya. We'll be seeing ya. You tried to get me. It's up to her.